Um, just as a question, how many of you guys can sing? It's not good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Dance? But love it. I, I'm a dancer. You like to dance? How many people draw? Does coloring adult books count? <laughs> yes. How, how many people can do improv? So if I were to ask all of those questions to a kindergartner, all of those kids would have raised their hand every single time. In this last episode of season one of Sociology Ruins Everything, we're going to talk about communication. Wait, you might say. The title of the episode isn't Sociology Ruins Communication. Let me explain. Scientists, whether they are social scientists, biologists, epidemiologists, or Victor Frankenstein, need to be better at explaining their research to the public. I've touched on this in a couple of episodes already because it's incredibly important. Whatever your philosophy of science is, from building knowledge to understanding and predicting mechanisms behind phenomena, in the end, you have to be able to explain your research. And that's going to involve explaining it to the people who are affected by it. This also means speaking in public about it. This is where improv comes in. In this episode, I'm going to run a little experiment. This is the true story of four graduate students picked to attend two workshops and have their lives taped. Actually, they volunteered, and I didn't tape their lives, just the workshops. Anyway, I wanted to find out what happens when people stop looking at their slides or note cards and start getting real. Today, Sociology Ruins Improv. The inspiration for this episode actually comes from Alan Alda. Alan Alda the actor? Some of you might ask. That's right. Alan Alda is famous for playing Hawkeye Pierce on the sitcom MASH, as well as roles on shows such as The West Wing and 30 Rock. But you might not know that Alda is heavily invested in the field of science communication. He founded the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University in New York State. Here's a clip of him on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert in 2021, explaining why he thinks communication is so important. Scientists need to be able to speak to the public and explain what they do so we understand it, so we can make decisions about what to fund and what to complain about and that kind of thing. But they also have to be able to communicate with one another. This is something social scientists think about a lot. After all, sociologists study society, anthropologists study the human experience, etc. If we can't explain our research to the average person, or even each other, what are we even doing? This is where improv comes in. I got in touch with Ruth Yamamoto, production manager and professor at George Mason University's College of Visual and Performing Arts. Ruth did her dissertation and has written on improv and creative aging. Here's Ruth talking a little bit more about her work. My name is Ruth Yamamoto. Uh, I am a PhD and I got my PhD by doing a dissertation on improvisation as an extracurricular activity in a college setting. And I have always been fascinated by improvisation since junior high school days when my drama teacher introduced me to it. And it was always sort of something that has been in the back of my mind, something that has served me well. You know, I have done all different things. I've been a professional actress, I've been a technician, and I've been an educator. So I have taught K through 12. I have taught senior adults. I've taught little ones. 
And so now as a professor here at Mason, I teach stage management and I'm also the production manager, but I always go back to sort of my love of improvisation. And I also still teach senior adults over in Maryland and I teach improv. And I decided to extend my research from my doctoral dissertation to find out what sort of the benefits that older adults saw with improvisation and it mirrored a study that was done by uh, Dr. Cohen on creative aging. And many of the same things were in the research that I did where it helped lower healthcare by doing improvisation. It did things like uh, it raised morale. Many of the participants saw many, many benefits of just playing. And so that's sort of, a, at, again, at the heart of what I do is I consider myself a scholar of play as well. So I've done a lot of studying about, you know, what does play do for human beings? And one of the books that I'm very happy having read is um, Humo Ludens by Huizinga. He argues that we shouldn't be called homo sapiens. Uh, we should be called homo ludens in that we are who we are because we play. We are players by nature rather than thinkers or reasoners that Play is much more rooted in who we are and how we navigate the world and figure things out. Going back to your work, can you define creative aging? Is that more just based on play? Uh, that was a term that Cohen coined. Uh, he argued that we become more creative as we get older, which is interesting because a lot of people think that you lose your creativity, you lose all sorts of things as you get older. But it's uh, the thought that with more life experience, you have a larger palette with which to paint from. Uh, you have more freedom in that you're not so afraid to fail as you get older. And so that creative aging is a way of tapping into the good things. There's not a lot that, that happens to you as you get older that's good. And so uh, I like to you know seize on the things that, that do happen. So you know, if we get older, and we can build on that whole wisdom thing and, and be able to play fearlessly, you know, back to the abandonment that we did as kids, um, that can help feed our souls. It can help, uh, again, morale. If you think about, uh, okay, I'll give a, a even more personal story, which I give in a, in a talk that I gave for, I'm, I'm a part of Applied Improv Network, which is, the applications using the you know the ideas of improv in places that are not theatrical and i gave a talk about creative aging a few years ago and it was after my mom had recently passed away my mom was in a nursing home for many many years in what was known as the skilled nursing area and i this was before i had finished my dissertation and i looked around and she says this is no fun <laughs> and i said you know, I agree, you know, I've walked down the hallways and they would be doing things like pat the balloon, where you'd have a circle of older folks who would be bouncing a balloon across to each other. And my mom said, that's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. And I was like, wow, you know, and that's when I started teaching to senior adults is because I wanted to have people find more joy in their life. And, and so, you know, I didn't, get it to my mom in time to, to make her life more fun. But that's sort of been a mission in my life is to try and make things more fun for people, particularly as we get older. 
you know, even here in, in college or teaching, you know, grad students or undergrads, you know, it's, it's important to remember what brings you joy and what feeds your soul. So improv, what does it do? It, it you know, it's a little bit of different things for everybody in, in that respect. Uh, I think for me, it has opened up horizons <laughs> that I never sort of considered for myself because I, I adhere to some of the tenets that I see with improvisation. And, and one of them that I, I, I talk about a lot is acceptance. And a lot of people will see or hear that sort of catchphrase that everybody associates with improv that is the yes and. And I have mentioned before, I think yes and gets a bad rap in that it has become a catchphrase and people make fun of it but really it's about agreeing and building. And I think that's a really important concept to improvisation. And I think for me, internalizing that and sort of living, using that as a philosophy, it has opened up more doors and windows and it has helped with conflict resolution. It has helped in many different areas of my life. That was a long-winded explanation of why I love improv and what I do, why I do what I do. Yeah, that's okay. Thanks. time to talk about the workshops. Working with Ruth and Courtney Bell, a PhD student in sociology, we enlisted graduate students for two workshops introducing improv fundamentals. I'm going to let the students introduce themselves as well as their areas of research. My name is Gargana Hardy, and my main interest is precarious work. My name is Drew Bonner. My research interests include food access. I think that's my main research interest in looking at how food access impacts um, the educational attainment levels for individuals in society. Also do with that food access research, uh, research on gender, how that could like um, have implications for food access as well. And then also like uh, other socioeconomic factors like education levels and stuff like that. So my name is Emma Vetter um, and I'm interested in kind of the rise of alternative housing amongst millennials. Um, So looking at why people are kind of suddenly more drawn to living in vans or kind of traveling full time um, or just kind of seeking out, you know, travel experiences versus, you know, becoming a traditional homeowner. My name is Jay Robinson and um, I'm in the sociology department at George Mason. And my interests are looking at how sociology programs are anti-Black, how they exclude um, black classic sociologists in their contributions to the program, to the field, to everything. And it's more than Du Bois. It's more than the one black friend. Next, I wanted to know their experience with presenting research and their confidence when speaking to the public. I have had no experiences presenting my research. I have somewhat um, not fear, but I feel very uncomfortable speaking in front of people. So this was one reason why I was kind of interested in what you're doing, because I would like to be able to talk about my research in front of people I've never met um, and feel comfortable doing it or somewhat comfortable. 
I've noticed that, like, for example, if it's a smaller group of people, I can do okay, right? If it's like seven, eight people, but if it's more than that, it's like, it just triggers something. It feels like a bigger crowd, right? So that kind of makes me freeze a little bit. And I just would love to get over that part. <laughs> okay. So I hate public speaking. Like, I, I wouldn't say I hate it, but um, so I think like pre this year, like 2021, um, so this academic year, I didn't do any presentation on my research at all. And uh, I think that was like for my own like personal comfort levels. I think I actually like made it a point this year to do at least one presentation. So I actually have done this academic year, two presentations, one at Salem State University to talk about access to, or yeah, food access and how transportation impacts food access. And then also um, did a presentation to the National Farm to School Network. That was a joint presentation for a group. So those two were my like more finer moments, but otherwise <laughs> I do not like public speaking or like, you know, presenting my research publicly. I think I would say I'm moderately confident. I think um, one of the things I've been like learning from a lot of people, like mentors and such, is that like, you know, I am an expert, I guess, in regard to the food access, you know, like um, been doing research on it. I have like personal experience with, you know, going to different farmers markets or food banks, stuff like that. So I have like a decent amount of experience, but I don't see it that way all the time. You know, I always I think it might come from like a hierarchical perspective of like I'm still a student and like, you know, I might be speaking to other professionals who've been doing this for 30 years or so, you know. So when it comes to that, I think my confidence is like mid-level where it's like other people can tell me that, you know, I know what I'm talking about and like the content will make sense. But it's just like when I'm presenting, I feel like a lot of imposter syndrome. So I did um, ASA last year, but I mean, on Zoom, it's so different because you just kind of feel like you're talking to yourself mostly and you're at home and it's just a little bit more comfortable. So I did that last year, but I anticipate that it would be much different kind of in the traditional sense. And then in undergrad, we would go to like the undergraduate sociology conferences um, near my college. But again, it's you know, I think it's a lot different when it's people your own age. And again, it's a little bit more comfortable versus doing, you know, an actual kind of presentation. So I think as far as like practical experience, probably low, but, and I think with COVID, it just feels a lot different now. I feel somewhat confident, but I know I just have a lot of skills that could be refined. So I think I don't know. I find that I tend to talk too quickly or use too many, you know, pause words, lots of likes and ums that I know can kind of get refined out of there. So I think it's not that I'm, you know, not confident talking to people. It's just I know that there's a lot of mechanics that I need to work on when it comes to the actual presentation of it, I think. I guess it would be mostly related to my company, like using that research from my studies and previous studies into my consulting. And as far as like conferences, they're so unaffordable, which kind of goes back to our track, which is kind of ironic because most of these conferences are about equality, but it's not equitable for those who cannot afford it. And, you know, a thousand dollar hotel fee for four days in LA. Don't get me started. I'm going to go on a tangent. So as far as conferences, I wanted to go for this one. I got in to present something, but I just cannot afford it. So as far as like the world of sociology, it's too damn expensive. 
but I'm going to be looking more for like local ones, but even then they're just, it's insane. Rather confident, you know, like this is what I have to do. And I did do theater for 13 years. I started in middle school. I went to art school, middle school, high school, and then I got my undergrad degree, my bachelor's in theater arts. So I'm quite comfortable. Now, hopefully you're curious about how the improv workshops went. I can't share everything here because, well, two hour and a half sessions equals three hours of material, and I'm pretty sure you don't want to sit through a three-hour podcast. Also, improv can be a visual medium, so it doesn't help that you're listening to this. Instead, I want to highlight what Ruth calls the three pillars of improv, acceptance, trust, and presence. Here's Ruth explaining how these fit into improv. For me, I have three, three pillars, three-legged stool, however you want to imagine it, that are really important for improvisation, and without one of them, they sort of fall apart. Uh, and so earlier on, somebody said, yes, and. And a lot of times when you get somebody like me who's a facilitator, and if you've ever been in bad improv or bad like office training, they'll say, oh, we're going to play yes, and. And it ends up becoming like a bad catchphrase for people. And I want you to think about not as a catchphrase, but a really as a, a way of, of thinking and processing about things to agree and accept and build. Okay, so acceptance is going to be one thing I'm going to hammer home in the next couple of weeks, this week and next week. Another one of the things that I, uh, I or other two legs of my stool are trust, and presence. Okay. Trust and presence. And I think that those are really important if you're going to be successful at improvising or in life. Trust and presence. I'm actually going to start with presence. Presence takes a lot of work. And it's not something we always consider in our interactions. In one exercise, we had a conversation with a partner. Something like, what was your favorite toy as a child? I picked my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, of course. Then we were asked to turn our backs to each other and describe our partner's eye color and the color of their shirt and shoes. I can't speak for the other participants, but I got everything wrong. Turn around and look and see how close you were. If you do qualitative work, you can see why presence is so important. When you're interviewing or observing a subject, you have to listen as well as pick up on details and understand the meaning behind them. What a subject is wearing, for example, can tell you a lot about a person, as can body language. Presence is also helpful when talking to our colleagues. Are you present during meetings or conversations about research? Again, when I say present, I don't mean are you hearing what other people are saying. There's a difference between hearing and listening. When we're just hearing what other people say, we can make mistakes. That brings me to another trait, acceptance. The way I see acceptance is that you acknowledge what you're dealt with and you work with it. It's also another way of thinking, hey, I should be a lot easier on myself. This came up a lot in our second session when we graduated to sketches. But in one of the first exercises, we had to collectively write a story. The catch was that it was one word at a time. So we went around in a circle saying words, and you had to accept what you were given by the previous person in order to move forward. Here's our story. I woke up this morning and couldn't feel awake. So I went to the store and bought some coffee and dog 
food. However, I thought the flavor was interesting because I don't really eat dog food. <laughs> so I decided what to do was to try and mix the dog food or dog dog food with spaghetti and it was awful so i felt it was important to add some extra vegetables and meatballs then it was terrible oh so i added <laughs> more <laughs> beef stock or er, beef stock <laughs> wow what a improvement <laughs> acceptance isn't just a great skill for telling stories it's also great for recovering from mistakes. If you've ever done public speaking, you probably know this feeling. You're talking, and suddenly you mess up in a really obvious way. The result is an absence of checks and balances in Russia, and the decision of one man to launch a wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. <laughs> Iraq, too. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, paging Dr. Freud. Anyway, it could be a little mistake, or, I don't know, a mistake that potentially reveals guilt over a pointless and costly war. Either way, improv teaches you to think, I made a mistake, and move on. Again, interviews are great for refining acceptance. If you've ever put together an interview protocol and then watched helplessly as the interview went into a completely different direction, you know that going with the flow and accepting the new direction is a better tactic. Or, imagine you're on CNN discussing your research and you happen to prove the questions in advance. Does that sound nerve-wracking? If so, why? You're the expert. Be present with the reporter, go with the flow, and trust that they've done their homework as well. Ah, there's that last pillar, trust. It's easy to see how trust is important in improv. If you're in a sketch with a partner, you have to trust that your partner is not going to leave you hanging. In this sketch from the second session, Emma starts off as if Jay is her daughter and I'm with them in a doctor's office. By starting the sketch the way she does, Emma is endowing both Jay and me with the who, what, and where, and trusting us to follow along. The three of us go from there and have fun with it. Yeah, doctor, so like I said, she's just having a little bit of trouble seeing, you know, the board and the classroom these days. We're seeing a lot of squinting, you know at home, so we definitely think, you know, there's a little bit of lost vision there. Can I get a lollipop after this? Oh, yeah, sure. Right here. Not go. too much sugar, sweetie. Remember, we have dinner later. So, um, I'm not actually the doctor. I'm actually <laughs> the assistant, um, but the doctor will be in shortly. Perfect. Um, all I can do is hand out lollipops. Can and I get another one? Yeah, here you go. No, nope, no, not too many. <laughs> we still, remember, we said we would get ice cream at this so point. Well, no. I, I measured her height mm -hmm. and, and weight and mm -hmm. did all that. Yeah. And the doctor will be in shortly, but 
but I will relay the information that you passed on to... That's great, yeah. Uh, Are you another lollipop? No, no yeah. more lollipops. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll relay the information to her. Yeah, that would be perfect. We're just, we're just a little concerned. You don't have to give her more lollipops. It's okay. We like we, we have dinner plans after this. You know, we don't want to get her too sugared up for not be able to read the eye chart, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I can't really say whether it's too we, much we sugar or not. We appreciate you as the assistant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, we just want to make sure she can read the board okay. You know, we don't want her to get behind if she can't see anything. Oh, it's okay, sweetie. You can just sit down for a few minutes and it'll be all right. Just a little oh, bit longer. Way to go. We'll go soon. We just have to see the doctor. Great. How is this applicable outside of improv? Well, trust in yourself for starters. Listen, imposter syndrome is a real thing. I definitely have it. You may have it. And if you do, you know it can cause you to doubt yourself constantly. It can also prevent you from taking chances. This is where trust and acceptance go hand in hand because you might take a chance and yes, it might be a mistake. Improv tells you to shout, I made a mistake, and move forward. Trust yourself to learn from that mistake. It's not just about trusting yourself though. It's also about trusting others. I know, stranger danger is a thing that exists, but that doesn't mean we can't trust anyone. Trust your research partners. Trust your organizers. Trust your allies. Trust reviewer number two. Actually, don't trust reviewer number two. We all bring different experiences and viewpoints. You're not going to get any of that if you stay in your own head. That's my takeaway anyway. After the sessions, I asked the participants what they thought. I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I feel like I was laughing the whole time. Um, it was definitely, it served like an icebreaker to kind of like get you comfortable, to get you in that mood, to relax and get out of your head because I am always in my head all the time. So sometimes you don't, like when you're amongst people or you're trying to speak in front of a group of people, even just hang out sometimes, you're kind of like, reverting back to that headspace where you're like just overthinking instead of being present right so i think that kind of helped me get into trying to be more like present and not so much thinking in my head so one i really like the workshop i think it was very like fun and interactive and i think that would be a cool version of what i think uh public sociology could take on making it more like fun if you will and less like lecture style. But I think content-wise, I think I took away the importance of presence. So, you know, like one of the things I always think about is whether it be like an interview or like talking to somebody in like conversation, it's like really important to actually acknowledge and understand what they're saying. So the yes and piece that we learned about, I actually been like applying that in some like conversations of not trying to negate somebody's speech as soon as, you know, they say something or like, you know, going with the flow, if you will, and learning to like, I guess, share in that like experience, like the, the teacher was saying. So uh, I think overall it was really good. I'm like trying to apply a lot of the concepts to like my life, you know, learning to go with the flow a little bit more instead of trying to be so like strategic or like concrete with a plan, if you will. Um, but it was good overall. I really enjoyed the workshops. I feel like I went into it kind of thinking it'll be a good study break. It'll be fun just to try something new. And, you know, I feel like it'll just help me think on my feet a little bit better. And I don't think I totally knew what to expect either. I don't know. I think maybe I thought initially it would be like how to use improv to like think about your research. But I liked the fact that it was just the straight improv workshop. It ended up being a really great study break and 
also just a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be too. I felt like I was not good at it at all, but I felt like Ruth did a really good job of just setting the ground rules of it's okay if you make mistakes. And I don't know, there was just something really refreshing about it. We were kind of talking in the last session of it's okay if you make mistakes, it's okay to kind of take a second to think about what you're going to do. Because I felt like something I struggled with in the workshop was I felt like I had to jump in, but it was okay to like take a second and think about what you were going to do. And I think just not getting flustered when things kind of don't happen the way you anticipate and just kind of gracefully rolling with what's happening. And I felt like the workshop was a good lesson in that. I thought it was awesome. I think it should be offered more and backed up by not just you. It's always disappointing when there's not more faculty involvement, especially when I feel like most of the time it's amazing events and there's no faculty involvement. And I just thought it was fantastic. I actually was excited to go to campus on a Friday. <laughs> I'm sure you saw me taking notes the whole time. It was for my research and my company. And again, I, I've done theater. I've been doing, well, I did improv up until I finished my bachelor's. And it's those things. It's like, I knew it. I knew these exercises, but it's like, oh, duh, of course that can be applied to this. And so for me, it's more like connecting something I already knew to what I've been doing even in my personal life when I shared it it was like I actually said yes to something but yes to something I've been telling myself I should be doing to stop making excuses for something I've been doing and I've been so much happier because of it and that I was reminded because of that workshop I'm like I'll get into my soul now and it was fantastic (laughs) I had such a good time like it was you know I don't bullshit it was so awesome like it really was (laughs) That's going to do it for Sociology Ruins Everything Season 1. I'd like to thank Ruth Yamamoto and Courtney Bell for making the workshops possible, and Jay Robinson, Emma Vetter, Drew Bonner, and Gurgana Hardy for participating. This episode was written, mixed, and edited by me, Matt Sedlar. You can find me on Twitter at at Matt Sedlar or the podcast at Sociology Ruins. The music you've been listening to is by Kevin McLeod. And join me this fall for a new season of Sociology Ruining Something Completely Different.